You're listening to The Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, former prep course ops superintendent and current special reconnaissance training guru, Trent Segmiller. Hey, everybody. Welcome to maybe the hardest hitting Ones Ready podcast we've ever had. You're in the team room with Aaron and a special guest. We've heard all the requests, uh, almost too many requests. It's actually wearing me down a little bit. Where's the SR podcast? Where's the SR podcast? I've gone from like complaining that no one knew what Sauti was to like, why does everyone know about SR? So here it is. We're finally giving it to you. Uh, Before we get into the meat and potatoes, though, just want to shout out to everybody. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, Go out there, leave us reviews, watch us on. YouTube, all the uh, podcast uh, streaming uh, platforms. Leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And also, we, we have a lot of people supporting us. Uh, we're not doing this for, for money or anything like that, but like there's a lot of people that we know. So my personal favorite, Everly Stock, uh, go out there, get yourself a bag, put in the ones ready code. Uh, we're not getting anything out of it. You get a discount. Great gear. Start rucking today or yesterday. It's going to be awesome. So Aaron, you look like you had something you want to say. No, I just I wore my Everly shirt. I was oh, so excited. Wow. I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hooray. We didn't even coordinate that. That's awesome. So Get it. our guest today is Garrick Lewis. And when we talk about SR, I'm like the AATC guy, those who can't do teach. So I thought we'd bring on a guy that actually can do. So we're going to talk about Pipeline, his journey, everything like that. I don't want to steal his thunder. So Garrick, go ahead. Why did you get into what you got into in the Air Force and kind of walk us through your journey on, on how you ended up being the awesome dude you are today? Oh, wow. Well, hello, everybody. My name's Garrick Lewis. Um, I'm a master sergeant in the Air Force, they tell me. Uh, <laughs> I've been informed. Yeah, I've been informed. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a long road. Uh, I am uh, a little bit older than most, and uh, I kind of started out out of high school. I uh, didn't know what I wanted to do, joined the Army, did a nice four-year stint in the Army as a Ford Observer, infantry dude, calling in artillery, and just said, you know what, that was fun, but I'm going to move on and get some college and knock out my degree and took a break from the military. And then a little thing called September 11th happened, and uh, I think a lot of us, you know, for me and, and a lot of friends and family, we all were, you know, like, I'm going to get back into the military. So I started looking around, couldn't really figure out what I wanted to do. So I was just working as a air force, uh, switched over to the air force and, uh, was working as an air traffic controller and gosh, I sticked with air traffic control almost, uh, six years. And, uh, Haiti had, uh, the, the big earthquake in 2010 and they called up uh, my guard unit. And it was an air traffic control unit. And they said, hey, uh, they need some help down at uh, Port-au-Prince, the main airport. And so it was a group of about eight of us got sent down to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And we got uh, matched up with these really cool cats, uh, combat controllers, pararescue. And then there was this one oddball who was a South T. And I'm joking, actually. Uh, <laughs> Nick Jones, good guy. Um, and I loved it. I, I found myself back amongst people I was used to working with when I was in the army. And, uh, I mean, they were out there just getting after it. They're riding dirt bikes and, and setting up LZs and, and really doing everything under the sun. Uh, everything was, uh, 
there was no there was no no there was no hard no i mean they had the solution to any issue any problem that presented itself and for me even as i was getting into my early 30s i was like yeah, man i, I want to get back into something like that i want to feel like i'm really making a difference uh made some good friends guys like uh some real legends in the community like Zach Reiner, uh, Caleb Gilbreth, some some of those guys who've, who've definitely made good names for themselves in the special tactics community. Uh, and they said, hey, old man, this is what you got to do. You got to start hitting, start rucking, start hitting the water, start <laughs> Get up running. For it, fella. Yeah, yeah, all, all that fun stuff. So, um, man, I, I think it was about 33 when I finally got to selection at Medina. So, man, let's let's pause there, Garrick. You just you just covered so much ground. So, first, so what college did you go? You, you were Ford Observer in the Army. You were calling in some uh, artillery stuff. You know, big infantry style. I can't talk tonight, but so you took a break. Where'd you go to school? So I ended up getting out to uh, Embry Riddle. I, okay. I definitely was into the aviation thing. So a uh, friend of the family said, "Go check out Embry Riddle Aeronautical University, Daytona Beach. Not a bad place to go to college." And then, when were you doing ATC stuff? I'm trying to figure out how it is you were an ATC guy, and we're not talking about you going combat controller. It's crazy that you were, you already were in that world. It would seem like an easy transition. So I'm trying to like follow those breadcrumbs to where that goes. You know, I am an oddball. I, I tell <laughs> I tell guys in my troop I'm an enigma. I can't, can't pin me down. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I always I knew that I liked anything dealing with aviation and aeronautical science. And so my degree was aeronautical science. I was flying little Cessnas. I was doing some air traffic control. And then I ended up getting a degree in aeronautical science and communications. You know, I just never could make up my mind, wanted to get a little pieces, as many little pieces as I could get. And uh, after Emory Riddle, I was pursuing a job as a professional pilot I was working, bumming around as a flight instructor, but uh, pilot jobs were really hard uh, a few years after September 11th. And at the same time, I had that draw, that pull, that to get back to the military. And yeah, uh, I, I, early on, I really enjoyed the, the camaraderie and the teamwork, you know, working with just kind of like-minded people, all walks of life. And I think it, that, that's the call that pulled me back to the military. Okay. Yeah, it almost sounds like we were playing two truths and a lie there. Like, tell me which was wrong. I was a pilot. I, 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 wanted, I was in the Army. I, I went 16 to jobs. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's funny. Sweet. So, I, I mean, I know where you ended up. So you ended up being on the guard side. So you, you met all the dudes. They told you to start training. And then you, you got to Medina. Uh, let, let's just go with the pipeline stuff first. So being an older uh, early, we'll say early thirties, early thirties, dude, going through the pipeline. So we talk about this a lot. We get a ton of emails like, Hey, I'm 30, I'm 31. Am I too old to join, to go through the pipeline? You know, and you went through and it was hard. So <laughs> maybe some of your challenges, like pros and cons of being an older guy and having, you know, a, a ton of life experience under your belt. Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause yeah, I get that. Talk to a lot of kids now, civil air patrol and things like that. And um, I think, you know, actually for one of the combat controllers that I interviewed with, uh, for the guard unit that I was, I was going to go to a, a guard special tactics unit starting out and he was a C8 senior master sergeant at the time. And he said, look, man, you're in pretty good shape. I was, I was all into that CrossFit thing back in the day. Uh, 
you know, he's like, you're in pretty good shape, but I'm going to tell you the, the truth. You're going to hit the, the wall about a year in. He's like, you can pass these quals. You're doing really good, but you're going to have to take extra special care of yourself to make sure you last this two years. Uh, and he hit the nail on the head. I, uh, I also can say that being older, I knew exactly what I wanted more so than a lot of the younger kids. And so even on the hardest day, I would still stop and say, I'm getting paid on the first and the 15th. I'm hanging out with some of the most interesting, just coolest <laughs> kids. And there were, I mean, there were kids to me, but at the same time, they're, they're just great, great people, great guys. I was not nearly as old as you. I was about five years younger than you uh, when I went in, but it was the same sort of thing. I had a lot of those same experiences. A lot of the things you're saying, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally, I totally felt like that. It, it was easy for me to strip it all away and go, hold on. I'm not at my desk writing EPRs and handling other stuff right now. I'm here. I get to focus on myself really like 80% of the day. We're at home. I have to focus on everything else all the time. Here, at least I get to be like, oh, I get to have a good workout session or I'm really going to get into this mobility session and feel better. So at times the pipeline was kind of like almost stress relieving in that, you know, bearing or the, the, bearing the burden of leadership so much all the time. It was actually a, a good thing here and there. No, heck yeah. I mean, it's, I, stupid things that I can remember, like after the first back then selection was what, uh, 10, 12 days or so at Medina. No. And, you know, it was tough. But then I remember like day 12, they brought us to a, a running store and like, hey, oh, they, got you your, they got you your shoes from Fleet yeah. Feet in San Antonio. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, as, as a guy who grew up in the basic army infantry and then even in an air big blue air force air traffic control the fact that they were dropping 120 bucks on a pair of brooks or i forget what i picked out but i was just like man that's, this is cool i feel like i'm in the nfl you know yeah like, yeah day week week two sneakers you know month six it's gonna be battle armor and you know an m4 so i just it, it was neat and it was one of those motivational things that i was like if this is what it's gonna be like I'm, I'm all in and you know each phase was was always you know they throw they threw something new at you but at the same time it was like i'm just learning the amount of training and and education that is imparted and just that we learn i love that and i was just i was eating it up and and then most of the guys in my class were the same way. As as hard as it was, it was so like, okay, what's next? Oh, oh, we're gonna be working with explosives. Heck yeah, I've always wanted to blow stuff up. I mean, it was just always something like that that just kept us so motivated. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, obviously I I had my perspective of, of what it was like for you during a certain portion of the pipeline, but you know, you know, I mean I remember I I relied on you to kind of keep the guys in check and it's a lot easier as an, an instructor to have someone like you you know like i just be like hey sergeant make sure that these guys all make it to school on time and that way i don't have to worry about it and you just <laughs> well, take care of it but go handle the boys right now please okay yeah, you, you you deal with this don't you don't want me to deal with it you know yeah so uh yeah we had a pretty good time for my i'm trying not to go down, go down the, the keys rabbit hole um so so you got through the pipeline you go back to your unit like you're the Saudi to SR thing. So I'm always telling people the career field was not that far away uh, from where we're going um, at a base basic level. You know what I mean? 
um, when it ended, when we, we made the transition, but kind of what was it like for you being a Southie, uh, some of the challenges, and now that we are SR and you are, you know, you're kind of like the guy, you're the first one to, to actualize it as far as I know, operationally, um, or at least help with it. I don't want to give you too much credit. Um, like just, just walk us through that process, some of your experiences. Oh no! Don't worry. I'm going to give myself all the credit now. So this is my, this is my time. In the it's your time. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put our microphones <laughs> I told on this you. This day would come. <laughs> nah, I mean, it was a huge culture shock. I'll just say straight up, just learning the way the Air Force does things. But then even uh, getting through that and getting to my first unit, um, it was a heavily dominated combat controller pararescue unit, and the guys I worked with funny because they were kind of like, hey, you know, what can you bring to the table? And it was only a few of us at the time. This is going back 10 or 11 years. And uh, I think early on we recognized a gap. Uh, and and I, I'm, a, I'm a voracious reader. I, I like to read. And um, I, I really enjoyed Books like uh, Not a Good Day to Die, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, actually, I think he was Colonel Peep Labor, is uh, a big uh, reconnaissance me from a, from a unit, an army unit that, that was kind of getting after it. And I always loved some of the things he talked about, where he's, you know, talking about modern battle and the unknowns on the battlefield and, you know, strategic kind of things like, you know, we go into these places and we need to know where our location, enemy locations and hotspots. And, and I always felt like that's something we could probably leverage, you know, and, and, and get into places. And yeah, we're, we're going to go in because we want to give uh, commanders the picture on what the atmosphere is going to be like, and what the weather is going to be like. But if we're already there, why can't we also provide them data on what routes they can use or, you know, what is the population like? Are, are the areas we're going into filled with people or is it a no man's land and we'll be completely covert? Uh, so we started early on that kind of path and, and how can we get that data and push it back to higher headquarters? And at the same, start, same time started experimenting with things like small unmanned uh, drones, you know, um, different systems that we could throw up and collect and videotape and, you know, get all kinds of data because in the military, you know, they call it, you know, priority intelligence requirements. And it's really the script that commanders want to know what they don't know. You know, they have all these questions like, and, and we wanted to answer those questions. And it, and it was early on, it was a fight. It was trying to convince our own leadership, like, Hey, we can get this information for you. Even if we're going in to do a meteorological mission, if we're already there, we're going to get as much information as we can get on the terrain, uh, the infrastructure, you name it. Awesome. So, I mean, yeah, we kind of went from that to, I mean, you were, you were up in North Carolina doing your thing with the boys up there. Um, like, is there anything else, like we, the transition to SR, like where are we going what, what's happening? Global access, what does that even mean in English? You know what I mean? I know both of you guys have more recent experience uh, on team with the, those troops than I do. Um, and maybe just tell people a little bit about it with, you know, within the confines of our, of, of our system that we're talking on right now. <laughs> yeah. Instant skiff. Now we're good. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, so I mean, it's already out there. We run global, you know, global access strike and recovery. Those are the three capabilities that an ST has, and that's totally, you know, that's out for, for public knowledge and no, no dice um, on the other stuff, but it is what it is. So, but global access is exactly what it sounds like. Can we access? Remember that one of the first and foremost missions of, of a combat controller is austere airfield seizure and control, right? Like they're meant to go to those deep mission areas where it may be contested, it may be denied, they may have to get eyes on an area and observe it for a long time before they actually start working in that area. So, you know, all of these capabilities complement each other. Having an SR guy that really is there, like imagine the weight off the combat controller all he has to do is think about controlling that airfield because the SR guy has all of it planned. Like, hey, here's the route. Here's what we can expect along the way. Here's what it looks like. And here's where I think we can leverage our capabilities the best as a unit. Like, I get excited about that on my own troop because I'm like, man, I got TACP and controllers and SR dudes and PJs and Stows and Crows. Man, that's there's a lot of SME at that table right there. And there's not a lot of problems we can't solve, that high-level problem-solving. When you start adding SR into the mix and those capabilities, it gets pretty pretty exciting to be quite honest with you. Because you can start you can start playing like little army man pieces and be like, oh, I could totally own this area if I just had this guy with a sniper qual. Ugh. Well, now we have that. So yep. the awesome segue. I mean, I I think one of the fondest memories I had from two years ago, I transitioned to back uh, uh, into active duty, and I was a troop chief out of North Carolina. And uh, we got hooked up doing uh, NTC, which is a national training center out in California. And it's, it's traditionally a large army exercise up to a division level. So you're talking, I mean, I think there was about 4,000 players for the exercise we went to. And this is big army units, but then there's a Green Beret uh, company, sometimes a battalion that's attached. So you're talking another 300 or so folks. And they're fighting an entire war, you know, with with role players and tanks and helicopters, full on war in a training environment. And uh, we brought our capes to the table and I was a troop chief. And so I had uh, combat controllers, two pararescue men and six SR South T at the time. We we're about to make the change. And we presented to uh, the Green, Be Green Beret commander. Like, hey, we, we want to do your recce. We want to do all your long-range reconnaissance uh, for this training mission. Uh, we'll get you, you know, let us know what you want. We can find out where, where the bad guys are, where the key uh, infrastructure is, um, some techno technological stuff that I don't want to talk about on this podcast, but we'll do it. And uh, Green Beret Commander was, was very open. He said, I'll give you the shot, but Air Force, you better bring it. And I will tell you, there was uh, a few army colonels and a couple army sergeant majors that kind of snickered like, yeah, good luck air force. And uh, yeah. three weeks later, I won't even say three weeks later, halfway through the exercise, um, the judges, they have a bunch of guys running around who are like the uh, dungeon masters of the observer controllers of the exercise. They, they kind of keep it going. I'm going to call every white cell guy ever a dungeon master from now on. Oh, that's so yeah. organic. I've never thought of it. Oh, uh, you're smarter than me. Uh, I'm <laughs> the my age right there. Dungeon um, master. Oh, white cell. Congratulations. You're now dungeon <laughs> masters. So those guys came out and they, they said, Hey, Air Force, you guys are in the penalty box. And immediately I'm, I'm the troop chief, platoon sergeant, whatever you want to call it. I'm like, yeah, what's, what's the matter? What, what's going on? He's like, we have to shut you guys off because you're being too effective. 
we've attrited 90, we've killed off 90% of the enemy force and the big army unit that was there, which was a first infantry division out of Kansas. He's like, they're not getting trained because you guys keep finding the enemy before they can get in position to attack big army. So they actually shut us off. Sucks we to suck, dog. Like, Holy crap. Yeah. All right. So at the end of it, uh, I'll, one of the more influential sergeant majors from the Green Beret evaluation team came over and he said, hey, man, I'm, I'm eating a lot of crow. He's like, I had money laid down with some Air Force uh, ALO, TACP officers, uh, that you guys were going to be a, his word, shit show. And he's like, man, you guys brought it. Like, that, that was phenomenal. So I, I had a lot of pride in that. I felt like uh, we got to kind of show our wares. And just like you said, it was – SR tandem with controllers, tandem with J's. You know, we were finding targets. Next thing you know, we're handing it over to our combat controller. And now he's actioning these targets. He's going through, going down his kill list and just calling for fire. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was pretty awesome to see special tactics in action. And, you know, I, I know we've all had experiences like that, but that's one of my favorite memories. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is there anything more fun than shoving it in someone's face once they. And just winning. Yeah, exactly. You told yeah. a story about winning and then having somebody else admit that you won. Like, those are two of my favorite those, things. You're right. That's like numbers one and three, you know? Yes, it's it's up there. Yeah. So, um, what, one of the other questions we get a lot is, uh, why do we need an SR capability within the Air Force? And I know what I think, you know, and I know what, what's been put out there. But, you know, from, from your perspective, what is, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of stuff that we can't talk about that you know we get into that all these other guys don't necessarily get into but the reason for the air force specific special reconnaissance Oof. coming with a hardball um, question all right so uh, I'm, gonna have to, I'm gonna have to dance around this give me the cut sign if i'm starting to delve into something i can't talk about but uh yeah, you'll be good. yeah you'll be good i think i mean they're your um, straps so so i think all right i'm gonna get corny with this because uh, i spent a lot of time in africa like my last four deployments I was trying to calculate the total time spent in Africa. It's, it's coming to like two and a half years. Um, it's pretty bad. My last deployment, as I was landing at the airfield, one of the dudes who's like a, a marshaler, he's uh, from the Hausa tribe, but he's the airport marshaler. He was waving because he's like, Derek, you're back. <laughs> but that has no... I'm, I'm Fantastic. Really Hello. Stonewall. Yeah. I, I'll answer your question. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm stonewalling you here. Uh, so with... SR and, and reconnaissance in general, um, you know, we're moving very expensive pieces of hardware aircraft and, and we're putting them in, in, into these far flung places to do the types of missions that the U S military does that special operations command does. And, uh, anytime you're going to put that type of hardware and personnel, you're going to go to places that we just don't have information and data yet there. And if a commander is going to make that decision and put, you know, potentially millions of dollars worth of equipment on the ground, he wants situational awareness. Like that, it's, right. that's a, a very scary proposition to a commander that, hey, I'm, I'm going to drop some C-130s or you name it. And I know very little about this area. And again, I'll take it back to Colonel Blaber, you know, talks a lot about the Afghanistan invasion and before those guys, the first real soft push in Afghanistan, they were getting intel analysts who were constantly staring at satellite imagery and, you know, 
basically that soda straw or maybe it was air air you know aircraft way overhead looking down at imagery you can only get so much from that and you know there were intel analysts telling colonel blaber's unit oh man you're going to go into afghanistan it's surrounded by a ring of fire there's there's anti aircraft machines and tanks and you name it well lo and behold those guys got on the ground one of the first recce units out there there were a ton of tanks littered all over the ground but there were tanks from about you know 30, 20, 30 years ago from the last war. They were all destroyed. But to an imagery analyst, they couldn't tell that. You know, you didn't have that real on-the-ground situation awareness. So I'm loosely tying this into my answer, Trent, which is uh, that commander is always going to want as much data as he can get. And I think having an SR capability is that, is that feed. Right. I mean, when we talk about it a lot, I think internally is 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 making sure that we stay on the, the cutting edge of technology and and maintain our awareness of of you know what everybody's doing and and our capabilities and, and how we get after it. You know what I mean? Um, you know, like it. it I get frustrated because I, I come on and I talk about SR and I'm like, well, I can't talk about this. I can't. You know, like most of the left of <laughs> band stuff. Our mo- yeah, our most uh, effective things. But like. With, with the way that the world is going, to to maintain um, our situational awareness and to uh, to understand what it is that we're getting ourselves into, and then to get to employ our assets, like you might have to put some dudes in on the ground, old school way, um, but you're not going to put those guys on the ground if you don't know what's what's happening before that. You know what I mean? So uh, to to enable our our aircraft and our air power to to be effective in those those regions. So um, that that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, absolutely. Can I tell like, another cornball vignette? Oh, I, I, was, a lot of stories. I was just going to ask you if you could give us another cornball vignette. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds top five favorite things. Yeah, it sounds like a good hors d'oeuvre. Uh, can I have another <laughs> cornball vignette, please? <laughs> Extra sauce. Um, I I definitely have a passion for recce just because I, I, I've enjoyed it. I like it. For some reason, I like sitting in, in hide sites for long periods of time and um, being miserable because it's just something to that. But in all reality, I, I can remember when I was like 18, 19 year old Ford observer infantry platoon. And it was one of the many times we were like jumping into Fort Bragg doing the whole, Hey, you're going to invade this area and fight through a mock village and go through bunkers, yada, yada, yada. And I started out just in a basic platoon and like, 12 hours before the jump, they drop these hand-drawn graphics and a couple like photographs and some imagery. And they're like, hey, here's a bunker complex. This is the amount of people that are there. This is the way you guys want to go through because there's uh, like wire obstacles. And again, I'm 18 years old and I'm like, hey, sir, where are we getting all this stuff? Because this is like on the ground stuff. He's like, oh, that's our scout platoon. We, we got some long range reconnaissance guys that have been out there for two days. And I remember thinking, like, that's that's amazing. That's that's like the answer to the problem. Like, yeah, that's now truly badass. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, you just you just put the whole game on easy mode. Now that I look, you know, like I know what it looks like, and I can plan for yeah. it. Yeah. And I and I just, I mean, I remember that early on, and kind of like I think through just being lucky and career choices and trying a little bit of everything. Like that's where I think we can get to, and 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 we've had some successes like that already and, and definitely the quality of people coming through is it's just phenomenal like it, it's ah it's truly just best and brightest to, 
guys coming up through the ranks. And so, yeah, that's what motivates me. Cause I think like you, you provide stuff like that to a, a maneuver unit, soft or conventional, it, it, it's a valued thing. It's, it, it's really a kind of a cheat code, you know, for whatever we're going to be doing. Is there any talk with you guys getting like going out to those, those units like tack P wood or like somebody else that would have a, an RFF for a recce guy? Do you think, can you see SR getting to a point where you would fill that enabler with sister service type role? I mean, I, I always have, this is Garrick Lewis opinion, but I think in today's where we're, what we're facing now, when we start talking about, you know, kind of a shift in focus away from violent extremists and maybe to more towards near peer, great power competition. I think that uh, supporting conventional units, large maneuver units is a natural thing. And, and oh, by the way, large conventional units like the 82nd Airborne and, you know, 10th Mountain Division, 101st Airborne, they all got rid of their long range reconnaissance really to their detriment. And uh, again, I'm a dork. I read a lot. And a lot of the after action reports from the last eight years for Army has these huge exercises called Combat Training Center Rotations, NTC, JRTC are two of them. The number one AR item that is repeated almost every rotation is lack of reconnaissance lack of answering priority intelligence requirements. So they made a knee-jerk reaction, again, my opinion only. They made a knee-jerk reaction getting rid of these reconnaissance units. But in reality, it's, 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 I think it's benefiting us because we're, we're going to try to fill that gap if we haven't already in some places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, th- I think that's, that's, you know, the, the guys up at the Pentagon had an opportunity. You know, they saw... You know, they got all the reports, they put their big brains together. I don't know what happens, light comes out or whatever, and then it turns into a PowerPoint slide and it says, this is what we need. We need uh, a highly mobile, (laughs) technologically proficient uh, reconnaissance unit. But also, I think special tactics as a whole, like this isn't just a uh, a new thing that that SR is moving towards, like this, um, the, the, the new way of doing business. I think everybody's getting you know, into more of that gray world again. And, you know, we went pretty white for a long time where it was just like, hey, find bad guy, kill bad guy, rescue people uh, in a pretty known environment. And now we're getting back out there and becoming, you know, special operations again in every sense of the word. Um, and I'm sure, Aaron, you, you see that a little bit. Uh, you guys get pushed towards that direction. Oh, it's a lot. It's in a lot of the messaging, the, you know, the visions, the, you know, they'll come out with ST 2030, 2040 visions or, you know, things that, that people kind of just think about and put to paper, whether it be a white paper that was made by, you know, mid-level dudes or whatever. But those ideas are out there and it's definitely the pendulum always swings. You know, we, we were so locked into AFSENT for so long. Like I'd be, I'd be lying to you if, if I told you everything that we do is training for, you know, AFSENT centric sort of missions. Like you have to start looking at other theaters and, you know, Africa with its unique problems. Like Africa's huge. You know, especially from a pararescue perspective, like we call it the tyranny of distance. You have to come up with inventive ways to get to patients, just like we had on, you know, the podcast a couple of weeks ago was, uh, you know, the sauce tea. You know, sauce has to be there in order to support operations. And that's a very 
niche piece of a bigger ST umbrella that we have to start, we have to start thinking about how we all mix capabilities together. And then lo and behold, different mission sets will pop up where we're like, oh, I didn't know it, but when I have this team complement, I can do this wide range of mission sets. And it's not just strike. It's not just sitting alert somewhere waiting for something to happen. It's not just weather. It's better. Like a rising tide raises all boats. And I just think that's the way that a lot of these things have been going. Right. I mean, because you guys might not just be rescuing people in a, 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 a known area. It might be a sensitive location where you might need to, you know, get someone else to help you get along the way to help get those people out before you can do, you know, all your work. Yeah. So I don't know if that's just the way, the way I see it going. Um, and, I, and I think if, if Garrick, you don't have anything else to say about um, SR in particular and the way we're heading, you want to talk about SWAS a little bit? Because that's pretty awesome. Kids love drones. Yeah. Kids Can do I, love drones, just- yeah. I, I gotta I gotta throw in some PJ love just because I had oh, the dude, privilege. His head of, is so uh, big already. He, <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this head of hair? I don't need the I don't need the extra confidence. You know, they're good. I just I had just the awesome privilege of two two of the like finest Jays out of the two three on my last two deployments to Africa, and the coolest thing because it kind of I, I think it goes in line with what we're talking about. Some of the strategic impacts that these two pararescue men made, we, we were doing a traditional army unit. We were doing foreign internal defense. This last time around, we had a partner force. And it wasn't, hey, you Air Force guys, come with us, you know, Green Berets, and we'll, we'll work together with this partner force. It literally was, hey, Air Force, you're going to have a partner force, and you're going to this, this FOB by yourselves, make it happen, train these guys on air to ground. So we did that, but what was really amazing is our pararescue men took them through an abbreviated, uh, you know, tactical combat casualty care course, and there were members within this counterterrorist force, partner force, that literally didn't realize the life-saving steps that could be taken because, and this was a unit that was mixing it up. They were in heavy combat almost monthly, and how this pararescue man, Kevin Hansen, just changed their entire way of fighting and training. I mean, literally, they're, they're now because they would get into the firefights and it was like, hey, guy's down, he's done. And then it was, no, hey, we can actually treat this guy, we can save this person's life and bring him back. Um, he just changed the entire methodology. And I, I was just like, wow, that's that's strategic, strategic asset right there. So completely had these guys change the mindset. Yeah, Kevin was one of my students. I'm going to text him as we're sitting here talking and tell him he's a dork. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're okay. I mean, (laughs) mean, good job, I guess, like for shaping an entire AOR, Kevin. Jeez. I mean, you did your job. Awesome. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, (laughs) that's fantastic. You did your job. Oh, look at me. (laughs) I'm so good. I'm so, man, there was a mission statement and I succeeded above and beyond. (laughs) it's <laughs> the worst so we we on this podcast we end up talking about a, a lot of you know prepping for the pipeline what to expect uh and, and good advice right and i think most of the guys out there if they've been watching the podcast have heard uh most of everything that aaron and i have to say about the subject you know i always have more because i think i'm smart <laughs> exactly yeah but uh, I mean, from your perspective, Garrick, and I, it's a little unique, um, you know, and I knew you when you were in the pipeline, you were a, a student of mine. I was 
You were more like my like cool uncle that just happened to be a thirty-five-year-old Adonis looking nineteen up in here. Yeah, like short, short, shorter temper. I mean, besides your pistol skills, I mean, other than that, you're pretty awesome. Uh, but like, what, what would you what would you tell a guy if if he shows up? You know, he hits you up on Instagram or whatever, and is like, "Hey, man, give me advice." Uh, and then, what's the payoff? You know, like advice to get through, and then why are you still around? Oh man, I love this question because it it makes me crazy. Maybe it's because I'm an old fart now. But uh, if you go to the gym and you are awesome at cows, push-ups, pull-ups, and sit-ups, don't go and train push-ups, pull-ups, and sit-ups every day. Do what you suck at. Literally, when I got to my first unit and I was giving pass tests, and kids like, man, I'm awesome. I run every day. I'm an awesome runner. And guess he would crush the run, and then he'd get in the pool, and he'd be drowning. Perfect. Do well, yeah, but it feels it feels better to run. It feels better yeah. doing things that I'm good at. That I mean, I've so many just that's yeah, and, and it's easy for me because I suck at everything that I do. Failure <laughs> is a good thing. Uh, I, I mean, really, like I will tell people if you're not ready to fail and pick yourself up again. Think of another career choice. It's the art of dealing with failure and responding to it and getting after it. And, I, and that's the thing, you know, the folks that thrive in the pipeline are the ones that bust their butt. And when they're down, they pick themselves back up again and they try twice as hard. That is just like the spice of that entire pipeline. Because if there's something you're awesome at, guess what you're not going to get tested on? Ever. You know, I, w- I was never asked once for my encyclopedic knowledge of what hair product does what. And I got to be honest with you, that was the one skill I was bringing to the table. Like, I'm not bad at double unders, and I know what hair product works best on dudes. I don't know, man. I honestly thought that was the PJ Pipeline. It, it's a lot of it, but unfortunately, <laughs> it's not evaluated. It's a prereq. You're expected to know it coming in, and I didn't know. So, uh, yeah, man. And so, man, you, you've been in for a while you've had you know 40 different jobs before you got into the military you know you're still sticking around you're an sr dude and i know from personal experience that when we have when we need a an answer as a community and it's a small community your your phone blows up um but like why are you why are you sticking around what's what's the payoff you know we're all getting a little old and nostalgic so it is what it is but what what's keeping you around you know what i mean i have no friends that's perfect i don't have any options that's what's keeping me around no i mean i think because i've had a chance to do a lot and live a little bit 43 years later i freaking love this gig and on my worst day i'm like man this it's just every day is different it, it could be like I had a chance. Uh, my cousin's going to Embry-Riddle right now. I pushed him, my alma mater. So he's out at Embry-Riddle. He came out to visit me, and I brought him with me because the unit I'm with right now happened to go out to the wind tunnel. So we're flying in a wind tunnel that, I mean, God God knows what was dropped for four hours of tunnel time at iFly, um, not endorsing them. Shout but, out. Shout out yeah. iFly. Just a local patron. Love you, but yeah. not an endorsement. Yeah. Love you, but not an endorsement. <laughs> Here's my 
18 year old cousin, that's, that's your, what you do. That's your day of work today. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Practicing skydiving. And you know, it, it just, it's always something different. And then at the same time, like it's family. I mean, I have a, a wife and I have a son. I got mom and a dad and I love them to death, but I also got an entire family of, of knuckleheads like myself and uh, have been through thick and thin with in training and real world. And uh, it's, it's some real dude love, not to yeah. sound, but it, but it's a neat thing, you know, and, and I probably like it a lot because I mean, it's just, uh, it's a neat thing to have a crew that has your back and you have theirs and I love it. I mean, I, I joke around, but they're going to have to drag me out. I'll be hitting people with my cane as they're trying to pull me out of the building. <laughs> but it keeps me young. Yeah. For sure. I, I think that's perfect. And then, man, Aaron, you got any final words before we wrap this up? No, man. I just want to say thanks, Garrick. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for getting the word about SR out there. I know it's in a whole bunch of changes, but man, I appreciate having one of the guys that's that's leading that change and is that charge. So man, I hope a whole lot of other cats that were on the fence kind of get behind you and, and get SR healthy so we can see what you guys can be. It's awesome working with you, man. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, yeah, man. Obviously, you know, I love you. So it is what it is. Uh, Spurberry police for life. Um, everybody thanks for thanks for logging on thanks for watching thanks for supporting the podcast uh, if you always if you have any questions comments concerns uh, shoot them Aaron's way uh, he <laughs> loves answering that stuff or peaches and uh, go out and buy the, the peaches shirt it's it's pretty legit um, th- that's it for us uh, if you have any questions about anything like just let us know and thanks for watching Garrick thank you for everything one's ready signing off we'll see you next time later, later. earn each breath train hard